0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome into the house of the Lord. Are there any greetings or announcements for the church? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, Greetings from West Akron. Uh, My brother and I were there two weeks ago. And then, of course, greetings from Eastern Camp, where we were last week. Uh, There was over a thousand uh, believers and friends gathered together there, and it was a very blessed time. Thank you, Brother Craig. Greetings from Sister Nancy. Sister Beverly sends greetings. Thank you. Greetings from Sister Beverly. Thank you, Sister Edith. Greetings from Brother Zoran and Edith's mother as well. Thank you for those greetings from your mother, and um, we'll certainly continue to Keep you and your family in prayer during this time of grieving over the loss of your father. May the Lord grant you what you need, and we will continue to pray for you.
1: I just uh, thought of something, Sister Agnes. What date was that? August twelfth. Just want to sure repeat that.
0: So, a couple of things. Uh, Brother Rein- uh, Brother Edmund Reinhardt's family went to Woodcliffe Lake this weekend. Um, so he is he is serving there, and uh, we'll be returning next weekend, Lord willing. Um, the focus of the month is the Cheerful Giver Project. This Wednesday for CFG, we'd like to do a camp recap as we normally do, and we'd encourage everyone to bring their camp hymnals. We'll sing from the camp hymnals to the higher ground um, uh, on Wednesday. Their, uh, brother Sy, uh is traveling to New Mexico and California to... Um, Uh, arrange travel for his mother-in-law, is visiting uh, her daughter Vesna, and uh, they will be returning, Lord willing, I think, next week. There is a new cookbook that's available, and there's a sample on the back table by the door as you leave the sanctuary. It's called Freezer Friendly Meals, and uh, the proceeds from that cookbook will go to support our brethren in the Ukraine that have been displaced and um, are undergoing hardship because of the war there. Um, And as Brother Doug alluded, on August 12th, Sister Agnes and Harry have invited us to their place in Keswick. They would like to have a a get-together and and, um, meal there with everyone. She has some relatives from, from Europe that are visiting, and she'd like to be able to invite the church over. So August 12th. That's all the announcements that I have. Before we open God's Word together, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's so good to be able to come apart, to spend time around thy timeless word. We know that heaven and earth will pass away, but thy word will endure. And so, Heavenly Father, there's no place more fitting than to be in thy house on the Lord's day, to look into thy word together, to be encouraged by it, and to be reminded of the things that are truly important. Heavenly Father, be with us in our meditation. Be with those that could not gather with us. And we want to also lift up in prayer unto thee, those that are going through great trials and hardships, those that are suffering from disease, those who are uh, constrained by old age and can no longer gather with us, those that are grieving the loss of loved ones, Heavenly Father, we pray that Thou wouldst be their comfort and their rock uh, during the time of difficulty in their lives. Be with us now as we look into thy word together, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. The word of the Lord is open to the 18th chapter of Luke's Gospel, the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18. I'd like to begin reading with the first verse. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth." And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted." And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. I've read until the end of the 27th verse.
2: The
1: Lord is worthy that we bow before him and pray. loving father in heaven we come into thy presence on bended knee folded hands and we pray a humble heart we pray Lord that as we gather together in this the house of prayer that our attention will be on your word And focused on your will for our lives. We thank you, Lord, that we could gather once again on this beautiful day where you have once again manifested your glory through your creation, through the sun, through the wind, through the birds of the air. Father, we thank you for your goodness that shines down upon us like your sun the sun which lightens every crevice and crack on the earth. And Father, we pray that it may enlighten our hearts, the Son of God, that he would enlighten our eyes, that the word that he has left behind for us may, as the Apostle Paul said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, That your word may save for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost father in heaven we're thankful for the many blessings of camp that we have experienced even we who have been here and have watched it on live stream father we pray that we would not forget the words that were spoken the the songs that were sung and the prayers that were offered Father, we are also mindful for our dear family, Brother Mark, Sister Jenny, and their extended family, both here and in, uh, in Ohio, that you be their comfort, their strength, as they had bid farewell to their dear father, their dear husband, to the mom. And we pray, Lord, that his legacy will be remembered, and that they may remember Grandpa, and how he loved them and how he cherished them and that they too would one day want to take the path he took and that is to be a follower of Jesus Christ Father and have we know there are many in this not only in our church in our churches in our families that have also suffered losses of different kinds we pray that you would be with them, that you'd comfort them, strengthen them, lift them up. We pray especially for the unsaved, those that have been hearing your word day in and day out, Sunday in and Sunday out, those that know your word in their minds. But we pray that it may descend into their hearts, that they would believe you, that they would believe what you've said believe what you've done and that they would respond through faith to receive the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation that he offers father in heaven we pray for those that are sick the shut-in those that are going through difficult trials in their lives we pray, Lord that as the one that was written of in Hebrews your son Jesus Christ he was not unfamiliar with the infirmities of our flesh but was in all points tested as we are and yet he was without sin and he's able to give the grace and the strength for us that we can also be tempted because in every temptation your word promises us that you will provide a way of escape So Father in heaven, we come before thee as our God, as our Lord, as our Savior, as our Father, pleading for your mercy and for your grace. Be with those that have not yet come back from camp, bring them safely back. We pray, Lord, for the government as we have many times in the past, as this world is is just full of decadence, is just deteriorating and spiraling down in corruption, in confusion, calling evil good and good evil. And we pray, Lord, that we would who are exposed to your word, we who have the opportunity, would see that and be willing to turn back and save our souls through the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with our dear brother, as you would expound your word this morning, open our hearts, that we may not only be hearers but doers of your word, for this is true wisdom. We ask all of these things as we commend this service now to your care and keeping in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
0: One of the, I think, central things that at least I took away from Eastern Camp this year, the theme was commit thy ways unto the Lord, commit thy way unto the Lord. One of the things that I, that I took away from that, or central idea for me, at least personally, is the idea that this committing is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time commitment, though it begins that way. It begins when we would throw over our lives unto Jesus Christ, not depending on our own merit and we attest to that through baptism an identification with Christ and his death and resurrection but committing our way unto the lord is a perhaps a daily exercise certainly something that is done on an ongoing basis my brother said i think the last time he was up here was that faith is a moral choice and That is an excellent way of thinking about it. It's not some magical fairy dust that you sprinkle on things, but it is a choice. It is a choice because we have the option of not believing. As I mentioned, I think the last time I was at the pulpit. Christ begins with a parable that we ought to pray and not to faint. And he does this, I think, because our natural tendency would be to think that, well, if God's as great as he is, I only need to pray once, and he's heard it. And since he knows everything, he knows how it's all going to work out. So what's the point of coming again and again and again to God in prayer, especially if he doesn't seem to be answering our prayers? The answer is, like so many things, it's for our benefit for our benefit. A gift uh, that we have no uh, proper appreciation for its value is often mistreated. You know, with our children, sometimes we give them something, or, or perhaps we defer giving them a gift, a valuable gift, because we know they're not really ready to appreciate it yet. They won't be careful enough with it they'll probably end up breaking it and then regretting it later. So we reserve that for a time. And that waiting for our children is often pretty hard. They don't like to wait anymore, I think, than we do. We may be covered a little bit better. But the idea of waiting on God and committing our ways to Him and trusting Him on an ongoing basis, even when we don't receive an answer immediately, is a difficult thing. But we see from this verse that this is not only important, but even to be expected perhaps in the Christian life. Like people that would engage in physical exercise or weight training or something like that. It's in the, rep- in, in the repetition that, that power is built and stamina is built. No one goes straight to the weight rack and pulls out the heaviest weights and tries to lift them without ever having stepped in a gym before. That would be foolish. You'd hurt yourself. God needs to work with us where we're at. He knows the end result already. So Christ uses this rather odd parable. He showcases a man who is ungodly, who has no fear of God as an example. There was a widow and in that culture, Uh, a widow was seriously disadvantaged. She had no upright way of supporting herself. Uh, if she had no family to care for her, protect her, or provide for her, she could very quickly find herself in a very difficult spot. She was very vulnerable in that culture without some form of a, of male protection who could who could intercede on 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 her behalf. There was a law, but to be heard by the law was also a problem. She had someone who was who was looking to take advantage of her of her precarious situation in life, her adversary. Perhaps he was withholding a payment that was rightfully hers that could support her. Perhaps she had still a little bit of land or something like that that she was holding on to. And as leverage, this man was using that money that he owed her as, 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 a, uh, as, a, as, a, as a weapon against her to try to force her, perhaps, to sell her last little bit of livelihood. We don't know the backstory. God doesn't give it to us in our, in our text here but she was in a difficult situation and the only man that could help her was this unjust judge, a man of poor character who didn't fear God above, had no sense of the justice of God, didn't really care about people either, no interest in helping her on a humanitarian basis. And so she did the only thing she could do. She came again and again and again and again. Until finally, that unjust judge said, all right, even though I I don't care at all for this woman or her cause, she's being a problem, a pain to me. I'll deal with it to get rid of her. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge says. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I like the way that the Lord says that. He's also waiting with us. Christ says, take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn of me. He, he doesn't leave us with the yoke alone. He takes the other side of it. In fact, it's his power and his strength that's doing the pulling. We have it easy. It's hard to remember this sometime, and I know... Words like this, perhaps when you're going through something difficult, you mean I have to wait even longer? Maybe. But I'm convinced that God doesn't want us to wait a moment longer than we need to in this situation. Once we have learned what the Lord wants us to learn, then he's ready and willing to intervene. For those of you that heard Sunday night's sermon, it wasn't until finally they cried out to the Lord that he intervened. And he didn't wait around another half hour before he calmed the storm. It says he arose. He arose right then and there and spoke the word that quieted the storm. So what I take from that is when I'm suffering in something and it's perhaps going long and I wonder where the Lord is and if he even hears, I need to keep coming to him. And I need to keep looking inside and see what it might be that the Lord is still teaching me through this. And remember, there's no shortcut to learning patience. When the Lord is teaching us patience, there's only one way to learn that. It's with time. Lord, grant me patience and grant it to me now. It doesn't work. So the Lord tells us to keep asking because he's bearing with us. He's mindful of what we're going through. He's suffering along with us. Do you remember the words of Christ to the Apostle Paul? He was Saul at the time. He was on the Damascus Road. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou my church? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou my people? No, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Christ felt it. It's a mystery to me, but he continues to suffer along with his people. Don't ask me to explain that to you. That's one of the mysteries that is, is reserved in the Godhead, but that mystery provides consolation also for me. And the thought that the Lord of glory is not removed from my situation, but also feels along with his children. But Christ finishes with a warning in this section. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? And I think in that idea of faith is the idea of faithfulness. Will we bear long with Christ as he bears long with us? Or will we give up before he does? He won't give up, of course. But we think sometimes that he's forgotten us or he's neglected us, or he doesn't care, perhaps, The truth is that he does, but his ways are not our ways. Neither are his thoughts our thoughts. One of the things that I've realized is that there are many that have heavy burdens. There are many that are suffering. And yet in each case where I've had an opportunity to talk to these people, they also testify of God's faithfulness in all of this. His ability to hold them up, even in the face of of, of chronic conditions that will not go away in this life. Yet they have found grace. Grace to bear that burden with the Lord's help. There are some that trust in their own righteousness and are quick to find faults with others. They think because that person perhaps is suffering something, it must be the Lord punishing or because um, I've done something so wonderful, the Lord must must really appreciate me and what I bring. We're told in Scripture, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? The Pharisee had the thing completely wrong. He was only praying with himself, Scripture says. God didn't hear him. His righteousness was only for the benefit of other people who might have seen him praying, speaking his loud prayer, praising himself. Isn't that the thing that we despise the most in others? Pride? Self-congratulation? We think, oh, what a blowhard!" Who does he think he is? I heard a quote years ago and it stuck with me. The thing that men admire most in men of restraint, is in men of greatness, is restraint. That when you, when you know someone could do something about it, you know, the, the, the gentle giant who's being pestered by someone smaller than him and you know that He could just turn around and flatten that guy if he wanted to, but he restrains himself. We respect that. Someone that flies off the handle really quickly. It's a shame, and we know that. And we see this fault very easily in other people, but we have difficulty sometimes finding it in ourselves. We're very quick to justify ourselves, and that was really the sin of the Pharisee, wasn't it? He was justifying himself before God. When someone else cuts corners or oh, cuts people off on the highway, perhaps, you think, what a jerk. Why doesn't he follow the rules? How can we drive that way? But when we do it, it's excusable because, of course, we're in a hurry and we have to be somewhere important. And why doesn't that guy just let me in? Come on, I'm in a hurry. God's word is a mirror and it shows us ourselves in it. You know, Christ came to show us what we really should be like. He was that perfect representation of the Godhead. Each of us, we're a bit more like a mirror that's got cracks in it and distorts the image. And you can kind of see bits and pieces sometimes of the proper image, but it's it's confusing. It's shattered. We need to be careful, conscious of our own weaknesses and our own faults. The publican didn't even look up to heaven. He certainly didn't look at the Pharisee. And he just simply said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The mercy of God, it's like a sea that we float on and we're not even conscious of it. We don't realize how much God's mercy supports us day to day. That he doesn't, you know, going back to the driving analogy, when someone cuts us off or pulls some sort of move on the highway and we think, where are the police? Well, we're sure thankful when the police aren't around when we're driving a little faster than we should or when we do something that wasn't quite right. So we need to be conscious of the fact that a just and a holy God is also a loving and a merciful God, not just for us when we need it, but also for others and how badly we need his mercy. I heard it said of, I forget who it was, one of the great saints of God, and he was on his deathbed, and there were those that were gathered around him, and one of his, one of his friends, I think it was a younger man, said to him, well, brother so-and-so, you're going to receive your reward. And he said, no, no, I go to receive mercy, not a reward. And I think he had it right yes, God rewards faithful service, but when we're conscious of how much he's done, we can say along with the Apostle Paul, I'm only an unprofitable servant. I've only done what I was asked to do. I did nothing extra. You know, sometimes even in the great creeds of the church, there's a lot of truth in there. They're beautiful. But I'm reminded of one of the creeds, and it says simply that Jesus Christ was was, uh, uh, born of a virgin, and and then it says he he was condemned by Pontius Pilate and suffered a death on the cross. And you think, well, what about all of the things that happened in between those two events? When we think of Christ's, Yes, it's true. He could have come, just shown up on Golgotha, been nailed to the cross, died and resurrected and gone right back to heaven, made short work of the whole thing and, and, and still be completely effective for our atonement. But how would we have known the Father? How would we have known about God if he didn't live among us and teach us and show us what the Father was truly like? Do you want to know What God thinks about money? Look at what Jesus thought about money. Do you wanna know what he thought about family? Read what he says about family. Do you know what he thinks about pride or humility? You can read and see what Christ thinks about those things. Do you wanna know what he thinks about children? We just read it together. Here's what God thinks about children. Those that have seen Christ have seen the Father. This is such a touching portion Says they brought unto him also infants, and I think that they were the mothers. The mothers care for their children and want the very best. They didn't want the blessing upon themselves; they wanted the blessing for their children. They wanted their children to receive a blessing from this special man. But the disciples, of course, they were a little bit more businesslike, a bit more grown up. We don't have time for this. There's there's, there's things that we need to do. The master's busy. But Jesus called them unto him. He had time for these little children. I think I see and hear a warning against impatience and the adult attitude sometimes that we bring into the things of God. We're looking for efficiency. We're looking for um, results. And we forget that the Christ himself took time out of his schedule. He knew the clock was ticking down to his appointment with the cross. Yet he took time apart for those children and I don't think it was just a a drive-by blessing. I can see him just looking into the eyes of those children and sharing a kind word with them, maybe tickling them a little bit as he spoke with them. The Father delights in children. He says, forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God. And that verse I think can be taken a couple ways. We must become childlike, he explains that. We must become as little children. But when you think of all the children that have suffered and died since the beginning of creation, heaven must be full of them. Verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. We all, of course, begin as little children. We take things at face value. We don't look to overcomplicate things. We accept things as they're told to us. When our father tells us something, we don't even question it. We think, Dad told me It's true. Of course... With time and with experience, with bitter experiences, betrayal, we become a little bit more suspicious. When someone offers something to us, we kind of wonder, well, what's the, what's the what's the string attached to this one? Where's the hook? Or we start wondering if there's if it's too good to be true. It probably is, right? We understand that in the adult world, things are not always as they seem. But with the things of the kingdom, with the things of the kingdom of God, there we need to become like a little little child. We need to set aside our suspicions, we need to set aside our contingency plans. Our sources of safety, are fallback positions if things don't work. God simply asks us to trust him and put everything over onto him. And that's scary for us adults, isn't it? The, The prospect of loss and pain and difficulty are something none of us like. And we question whether or not the Lord is really asking that of us. Can't we can't we make some sort of arrangement, some sort of a bargain here? And that's why I see this next passage about the the rich young ruler, as he's called, is so appropriate when we consider it in verse in light of verse seventeen. This was a good man an upright man it says in another place that Jesus beholding him loved him he saw in him a sincerity and an uprightness of moral character a desire to do good and he loved him for it but he saw there was still something that had to come out there was that element of self-dependence that needed to be removed if he was if he if he would be suited then for throwing in his lot with the master. Paul tells us in another place, not many noble, not many wise, not many rich in this world are called. Why is that? Well, very simply, they have something that others don't have. And they drive from it uh, both their position and their security. The old elder of the Mansfield Church, Brother Tony Betts, said years ago, it's the intelligent and the beautiful that have a hard time to convert. Because they found that both their intelligence or their charisma, their beauty, is something that they can use. A lever with which they can move people. A way they can obtain things. Riches, of course, do the same thing. And God says, no, it's got to be everything. He doesn't allow experimentation with faith. There's no, there's no five-step plan where you can try this or a 30-day money-back guarantee. You're either in or you're out. And he won't be bargained with. I often thought about this rich young man and thought, well, you know, Jesus says to him, it's got to be everything. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. What would he have said if, if what would, he, what would the young man have said if Christ had said, well, give me half? He probably would have gladly parted with that half. I still have plenty left. It's no problem. What if he had turned it up a notch and said, make it 60% or 70% or 80% or even 90%? Would he, you know, perhaps it would have made him pause a little bit. Think, well, I still have 10% and I'm pretty good in business and I have some connections and I think I can, I can, I can still do all right. I can still make it through. And he said, no, all. All. And that all is hard until you realize you don't have anything anyway. One day it will all be taken from us. None of it goes on to the next life. The Egyptians foolishly tried to stock their tombs with everything that they thought they would need for an eternity. It's still all there. When they roll back the stone or bore into the side of the tomb, everything is just as it was placed thousands of years ago. How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? In the Old Testament, riches were a sign of the favor of God, at least one of them. The the exemplary ones in society were the ones that had made it. And Christ came to turn all of that on its head. He clarifies in another place they that trust in riches shall not enter the kingdom of God. And it's exactly for these re- this reason we've been speaking about. But in the end, it underlines something that is fundamental to salvation. With man, it is impossible. You don't have to be wealthy to not enter into the kingdom of God. You can be as poor as you like, have as little, and still miss heaven. Because without God it is impossible. There has to be a realization that there is nothing that you can bring. and. When we step back, we can just marvel at the plan of salvation, how, how God arranged it. Some people find fault with God because they say, well, how is it that a loving God could allow so many people to go to hell? And that's the wrong question. The right question is, could God have done anything differently to open the way to heaven? And the answer to that is no. He took it completely out of our hands. He took the weight of that debt upon himself and was nailed to the cross. And now simply says, believe. Believe. That's it. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you have in your bank account or not. It doesn't matter your your level of intelligence Just simply believe the work is done and For some that's not enough They're looking at it from other angles and they think well it's gonna cost me too much to follow Christ Really What will it cost you? Because of course what can you take with you? Only your children I heard that years ago. The only thing we get to take to heaven is our children. Consider what the Lord says. Consider what it means to become like a little child. A child can find delight in simple things, in simple relationships. For a child, security doesn't come from a bank account or a position. It comes simply from being held by a loving father or mother. That's their security, and they need nothing more than that. Help us to realize that in the, in the grand scheme of things, that's, that is ultimate security, to be held by a father who loves us and who has done everything for us and will one day gather us to himself. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. Amen. Would a brother please select a hymn. Hymn number 310.
3: Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the day you've given to us and thank you for the message lord we've we've heard today of of waiting on you um, not to take matters into our own hands, um, but we were also reminded that you wait with us, Heavenly Father, you wait patiently. and so Lord, help us to be comforted and strengthened and uh, strengthened um, through you to know that you are not ignorant, you are not naive to any of our problems, Lord, but you you care for us, you you recognize every even every hair that falls off of our head. So help us to trust in you, Lord. Help us to to grow in faith, to, to recognize um, that in our own lives, Lord, we know we've had experiences already where you've been faithful to us. Lord, you've never failed us. So help us to, to remember that in any new situation that may come up in our lives. And Lord, even if our own experiences don't help us, um, remind us of your word to to look at the the men and women of faith in the Bible who, who went, who against all odds, Lord, trusted in you, recognizing um, that because, because of what you said, they could, they could be assured of these things. So Heavenly Father, help us not to rely on our intellect, on our appearance, on our capabilities, but to recognize that everything we have is already given uh, to us from you. And so Lord, help us to, to, to trust in you and you alone. Um, Lord, we pray for the many here who are suffering. Um, We pray that the word would have um, stuck in their hearts today, Lord, that they would learn to wait on you as well. Please help those who are going through sickness, um, who are going through pain and suffering. We pray pray that you would be with them as well, Lord. Um, And we just want to pray to thank you for the brother for delivering the powerful message. And we just thank you for all these things, Lord, in your son Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Would a brother please select a concluding hymn? Hymn number 56, <clears throat> 56.
1: A very poignant and moving message this morning on the love of God for his children and how he is so consistent in his teachings Jesus Christ three years on this earth but starting from the beginning of Matthew all the way to the end of John his teachings are consistent. And we saw within this chapter alone the Beatitudes again. The poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? Who are the lowly? Who are the humble? And we need to have hearts like children and be converted, he says in Matthew 18. We need to be merciful to one another. And we need to give all we need to give everything we need to be merciful not just in forgiving one another but in helping one another whether it be through material means whether it be through uh, spending time with each other encouraging one another one of the um, uh, forums it was at camp missionary forum I remember Brother Willie Richmond talking about Brother Dennis Delich. We know who Brother Dennis is. He's from Toronto, he's from Richmond Hill. And when his company was going really well, he spent a lot of time involved in all the business issues, lots of cash flows. And I remember Brother Dennis telling me, Brother Doug, if you would go to Zambia, do you know what what could happen there? I said, Brother Dennis, I've got a congregation here in Toronto. And he kept on saying, if you would only go to Zambia, and guess what happened? When his company went under, and when, because of cash flow reasons, and then he was left bankrupt if you will and when he had lost everything when he gave it all up guess where he went he went to Zambia and as we heard in the forum those that listened to it the what's being achieved there now in helping the nation of Zambia the children that never had a, a meal a day 700 children fed twice in a day being educated giving a chance for them in life and not only that but that the gospel is being preached to them and taught to them I'm reminded of one incident and I'll bring it up because it sort of flows into what we heard about, giving everything up. And it was a small incident for me, but a big lesson. I remember when we were just about to leave Zambia on their last day, and the kids will come around, and they know that, that, that the Muzungu are leaving now, and they won't see them again for another who knows how, how long. And I saw these kids come too. The school. Just like they did every day. But just like they did every day, they had the same clothes. The torn shirts, the dirty, greasy pants, the filthy feet, if you will, dust and dirt. And and they came. And, and I said to... one of the staff there I said I want to buy these kids some clothes and he said okay I said I want you to pick out the ones that are most needy and I want to buy them some clothes new clothes his name was Ken he was at camp actually a couple of years ago a few years ago so he started lining them all up and picking them out and Mrs. Foster the principal comes out she says what are you doing I said I want to buy them some clothes she said "Uh, you don't do it that way I said what if you buy them clothes and they go home to their mothers other mothers are going to come and they're going to complain how come you didn't bring my children clothes I said, well, how do we do it? He said, I and the principal. I have the authority to say which child gets the clothes. I said, go ahead, do it. So they did. They gathered about 15, 17 kids. They went to the local flea market where they had still clothes and bundles, new ones. They brought them all back. They went into the classroom, closed the windows off so other kids can't see what's going on inside. But before that, she said, how much money do you have? I said, I don't know, i got 300 kwacha. Okay. But I'm keeping 20 kwacha in case I need it for the airport. I always want to have a drink before I get onto the plane. Lemonade, of course. And she says, well, if you want to receive a blessing, Give it all. (laughs) I gave my 20 (laughs) quads. And when I saw them changing their clothes, coming out as brand new kids on the outside, all the blessings were there. And then half an hour later they came past our place. I see them going past the gate. There's two young little girls walking down the street with their new clothes they want to show their mum and dad if they had a dad. And guess what? At the airport I dug my hand in my pocket and I found 20 more quacha so I had what, what I wanted but God told me a lesson it's more blessed to give than to receive it's more blessed to give everything you got to God because he he's not small he's not sh- he's not powerless that, and his hand is not shortened that he cannot save That he cannot reply and multiply to you, pressed down and running over, if we give everything to God. And we, if we go through life thinking, I'm going to keep this to myself. I'm going to hold back just in case there's something better in life. I don't want to give everything to God. I don't want to commit. Can I trust him? Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. He means everything. He doesn't mean that everyone has to sell all their houses and everything, but anything that's holding you back from the kingdom of God. Everything that is holding you and me back from the kingdom of God. He wants us to divest of that, divest ourselves of that weight and sin that so easily besets us and the run the race that is before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What a mighty God we serve. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service. We will start again today at 1.30, no quiet practice, 1.30 this afternoon.